Well, everybody, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. It's a psalm that I've enjoyed studying lately. Um, I was away on uh, vacation when this psalm came up in our Bible reading. And uh, really took it to heart and started reading it well. In fact, I've been trying to memorize the first seven verses. And then after preparing for Sunday school, I realized I should probably try to memorize the first eight. But when you haven't memorized the first seven yet, you don't add the eighth one on until later. So, All right, Psalm 37. Let's go ahead and read the first uh, nine verses. And uh, this is a psalm that's 40 verses long. And so um, we won't study all 40 today. And we won't take the time to read the whole psalm. But uh, we'll read the first nine verses. And that'll give us a good taste for the psalm. This is a psalm of David. And we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment. David says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice. And the word justice here probably is better translated vindication. And your vindication is the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. And forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This is a psalm. Let's just cover some of the introductory matters of the psalm before we get too far into it. Now, we're going to get to a point where I do want you to put your thinking caps on and meditate on the psalm a little bit with me. But to start with, you'll notice right at the very start, this is a psalm of David. Now, this is a psalm that's written by David when he is an old man. Look down at verse 25 of this psalm with me. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or children begging for bread. So this is a It's one thing, it's one thing to hear an idealistic recent college graduate talking about the um, unknowns of life. You take those musings with a bit of a grain of salt and you think, well, bless your heart. But it's another thing to hear a saint who's been walking with the Lord for decades. And they've got perspectives and conclusions. They've seen evildoers come and evildoers go many times over. They've seen wicked people prosper and wicked people fade over and over again. David himself has been the object of court intrigue and all sorts of shenanigans. And 
what he's come to the conclusion of is nothing can stay the hand of the Lord. Nothing can change God's path. What God wants to do, he will accomplish. And this is not the perspective of youth. This is the perspective of years. And this should give us a lot of confidence as we listen to his counsel. The second thing I want us to know about this psalm is that it is a Hebrew acrostic. Now, much like we're doing with the kiddos once, uh, we were we're trying to be once a month, but sometimes it stretches a little bit depending on the calendar, but A is for arrow, B is for brave, so on and so forth. That's exactly what David is doing here. And your Bible might even have um, some spacing that kind of tips you off. So if you look at your Bible, after verse 2 in my Bible, there's a little space, uh, a little more space than there is between verses 1 and 2. There's a little more space between verses 2 and 3. Well, that's because verse 1 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Then verses 3 and 4 begin with the Hebrew uh, letter, Beth, and then Gimel and Daleth and so forth. It's like the ABCs. And David is going to follow the ABCs through this entire psalm. And it's a work of literary art. Now, it is not easy to come up with little paragraphs that begin with that letter and that follow meter. So, in other words, the thing I'd like to point out to us is not only, and it's, it's hard for us to bring over the, the alphabetization into English. I, I would love it if somebody could do that, but it's challenging for us. It's probably more important that we get the accuracy of the words than the alphabetization. But I think, I think the, the prominent point we need to take away from this is to make an acrostic is time-consuming and thought-provoking. This isn't something that David, with the benefit of years even, is telling us off the cuff. Here is a work of literature that David poured over for a long time. David poured over it probably for years before he felt like he got it just right. And so here's counsel coming to us in, in matters of life that are very real and practical, but they're not sort of off-the-cuff bits of advice. This is well-meditated counsel. Okay? It's like, you know, um, here in Utah, nobody knows how to cook barbecue. Okay? They just don't. Did you go to South Carolina and some old boy sits in his, sits in his um, lean-to and he'll smoke that stuff for three or four days. And it's a, there's a difference. You can tell, okay? Um, so next time you're in South Carolina, have yourself some barbecue that's been smoked for three or four days and you'll say, wow, that's really good. It's better. It's better. It's been slow-cooked. Okay? And th that's the idea here. This is slow-cooked advice over the course of years and decades and time. And the qualitative effect is stunning after you read through it. Okay? This, this psalm has a bunch of commands. Did you notice that as we were reading it? Let's just read right through here. Fret not. Um, be not envious. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Delight yourself in the Lord. 
you can see all these commands that David is giving us. There are four negative commands, and there are 17 positive commands. Okay, that should, itself should be instructive. Four negative and 17 positive. Of the negative commands, three times we're told to fret not yourself. We're told right here in verse 1, and then we're told twice in um, verse 7. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way. In verse 8, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It's the same concept there. Fret not yourself. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. So of the negative commands, three of them are don't fret. And then one of them is don't be envious. Okay, don't fret, don't be envious. Now his premise is this. Fret not because, as we read, it tends only to evil. We're going to talk about what some of those evils that come from fretting are. But, fret not, it tends only to evil. Instead, let me offer 17 commands and a bunch of perspectives on what you should do instead. Okay? The commands are basically isolated to the first part of the psalm. The, most of the commands are mentioned in the first nine verses, and then verses 10 through 40, not entirely so. There's a few more commands sprinkled in there. But for the most part, the majority of the commands come in the first nine verses, and the majority of the perspectives come in verses 10 through 40. Okay, so here's what David is saying. Look, as God's people, you're going to see evil prosper. You're going to see a lot of wicked. You're going to see a lot of evil people threatening you threatening your way of life, threatening the things that you love, taking away things that you love. But I don't want you to worry about that. Fret not. Don't worry. Don't get agitated. That tends only to evil. Instead, do these things, and here's the flow of thought, because of these things. Do these things because of these perspectives that I've accumulated over 50, 40, 50 years, who knows how many, of walking with the Lord, okay? So this is, this is sort of the flow that David is taking from Psalm 37. Okay, so that's the introduction, okay? That's sort of the lay of the land. Now, for our purposes, we're just going to sort of settle in on these first few verses. But we're told right here, fret not yourselves because of evildoers, or be envious of wrongdoers. Fret not, this word fret... Um, does anybody have a different translation in their Bibles? Does anybody have a translation that says something different? Because this is a kind of a catch-all Hebrew word that can mean a lot of different things. Anybody? Anybody have a different one? No? Fret not? The word literally means heat or anger. Uh, the word is used in other contexts of shaking out of fear or trembling in anger. This is a sort of visceral, emotional response. This word, fret not, comes in a specific Hebrew verb function. Hebrew doesn't have tenses. There's no past, present, future tense. Hebrew has intensifiers. 
that can make something passive, can make something active, can make something causal. This is a special one. It's pretty rare, actually. It's called a hithpael, if you care. It's rare. And this is a way of intensifying it. Like, we would use the word really, <laughs> or very, muchness. Okay? He really hit him. Okay, I was watching a football game yesterday evening, and the poor quarterback for Penn State, they ended up winning the game, but he got hit. I mean, he got really hit. I would have used, if I were a Hebrew speaker, I, I would have used the hithpael and whatever the word for hit was. Okay, he got tackled hard. Okay, um, really, it, and that's the idea. When you when you see something evil, which is the idea of twisted, it's twisted. Or when you see something wrong, it doesn't fit God's standard of righteousness. You are tempted to a visceral emotional response that can come out in a lot of different ways. You can be afraid, intensely so. You can be angry, and intensely so. You can be irritated. You can quake. You can want vengeance or justice or whatever else, whatever other emotion rises to the surface, intensify it, and that's what David is saying. Don't let your soul go there. Don't turn on it over and over and over again because in the turning and churning on it, what ends up happening, but it gets worse. Suddenly you start finding extra things to get angry about. Suddenly you start putting words into the mouth of the person you're angry with, and they may have not been thinking of those things at all. Suddenly you're assassinating their character when, frankly, it was probably a misunderstanding. Sometimes, however, it, it really is evil, and it's wrong. And you can get angry over it. David says, don't do that. Don't shake. Don't tremble. Don't be afraid. Now, let's meditate for a moment. Remember, his premise is, that sort of ruminating tends only to evil. Okay? What are the fruits? When we see something wrong in the world, we get angry. What are the fruits of that that are negative? What are the things we can do? Worry. That's a good thing. Worry. Yep. What's another one? What's that now? You can hurt people. That's right. You can, you can lash out with angry words. But how often are those angry words directed at the right person? Usually we lash out with angry words at the wrong people. What are some other fruits of anger? We, we see an evil that's happened and it agitates us and stirs us and we quake and tremble. What are, the, what are, the, what are some of the other evil fruits of that?
Yeah, you can suffer physical consequences because of your emotional turmoil. To name a few, sleeplessness, heart palpitations, hands quaking. You can have toothaches because you're grinding your teeth. Others. Yes, and that's what David is trying to restore here. That's a good one. You can start to lay accusations at the Lord's feet. Okay, well, let's move on to another one. David says, don't, don't fret. And this, this word includes fear. Okay? What, are the, what, are the, what is fear father to? What are the children? What are some of the children of fear? And I, I have lots of them written down. I'm going to begin with one. Fear is always father to lying. When you're pressed and you're afraid, you're always tempted to distort the truth. Because you're afraid. And you want it to go well for you, so you tweak the truth. What's another one? What's another fruit of fear that fear is father to many sins? Manipulation. That's a good one. I don't have that one written down, but I should have. What's another one? Yes, Steve. Conniving. Yes. I ha- I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to work a little through my list, okay, to kind of supplement, to sort of change the direction of it, okay? How about this? Um, impulsivity. Impulsive decisions. Why did you do that? It just seemed right in the moment. You, you uprooted your entire family and did that on a whim? You were afraid. Impulsivity. What's another one? Impulsive decisions. What's another one? Yes. Revenge. Yeah, fear will make you want to get revenge. What's another one? Have you known anybody who's become sort of a recluse because of fear? They go hide somewhere. You can hide inside your house. You can hide deep in the mountains. You can just go disappear and hide because you're afraid. That's not what God wants us to do. What else? Absolutely. (laughs) Especially if you're a recluse somewhere, (laughs) just hanging out by yourself, trapped in your own thoughts. There's... How about greed and stinginess? Like, if you're, if you're worried over what's going to come of the economy, you hoard all your stuff, and then greed kicks in, and you, you're not willing to let your substance be used of the Lord. And that's a sin, rooted in fear. Any others? I have a few others written down, but. How about these? I'm going to click through them. Uh, Let's see here. Greed, outbursts, depression, despair. Uh, I think those were all my ones. Anything but repose. Any, anybody else have any other ones? Okay. 
David says, when you see evil going on in the world, now, let, let's very quickly click off some of the things we see in our world that would make us afraid. Okay? What, what, nobody, no judgment, judgment-free zone, what makes you afraid? I'm not a particular fan of Cossack dictators talking about nuclear weapons, just me, okay? I don't like that subject. Not there, not here. I, nuclear fallout is not something I'm game for. I, that, that terrifies me. Okay. What else? Yes. Disease. Yeah, disease. Is anybody in here afraid of a quick death? But we're all kind of afraid of cancer, aren't we? Yeah. What else? What are things that can... You see evil or wrong in the world. What are some of those specifics? Violence. Yeah, wasn't it disturbing um, during COVID, all those violent protests, mob activity? It was fearful and disconcerting. What else? Our nation's redefinition of truth? That's terrifying. Because of the, if you've read history, you know where that goes. Okay, uh, Betty, yes. Oh, you losing control is a fearful thing. Yeah. Yes, yes, not knowing. All right. Yeah. That's right. Now, let's stop there. Okay? Because David says, don't let any of that stuff agitate you. <laughs> you can actually be free of all that. So let's turn now the page to what David is saying. Here's David's overall perspective. He says, I want you to begin at the end and work backward. Okay? Begin at the end and work backward. Nothing will come of the evildoers. God is in control of your life. God is going to provide for you and care for you. I once was old, now I'm young, and I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. Okay? Never. God has you. God has you in the palm of his hand. He will take care of you. And even if you were to part this world, you would be ushered forth into the presence of Jesus, into his everlasting kingdom. That's worst case scenario. Okay? So begin there and work your way backward. Evildoers don't have that hope. So you kind of have to expect that they're going to connive and manipulate and twist and turn so that they can have their evil ends. But there has to be sort of a sanctified blinders, putting some sanctified blinders on and saying, I can't, I don't have the energy or the wherewithal to pay attention to them. I'm going to invest in what's to come. I'm going to pour my life into the certainty of God and his protection and his faithfulness. That is beginning at the end and working backward from there. Now, David has some specific commands about this. He says, remember, evildoers, he says, they'll fade like the grass, verse 2, and they'll wither like the green herb. This word, Fade literally means to cut. Um, well, actually, th these are 
the word fade or the word cut are, what do they call the homonyms? Um, or, I don't know, the, what's, Lakin could probably tell me this, words that are spelled identically but have different meanings. What is it called? Homophones. They're actually spelled the same, but they have different meanings. Yeah. Well, either way, this word can either mean fade or it can mean to cut. And just depending on the context is how you translate it. So commentators are a little split here. Does this mean they'll fade or does this mean they'll be cut? Either way, they're not lasting. Okay? Evildoers will not last. And again, this is the perspective of years. They will wither. They will droop. They will fade. It'll come to nothing. So remember that. Remember that there will be no ultimate prosperity. There will be no ultimate lastingness. If you look at the course of the world, David would say, the things that were in vogue and fashionable now, or that were in vogue and fashionable 20 years ago, are completely forgotten now or later. It's, there's this fluctuation, and people come, people go. You know, to, if, you, if you listen, for example, to Christian preachers from the 60s, electing JFK was going to be the end of our nation and the end of all humanity and existence forevermore. And he came and went. And, you know, yeah, he came and went. That's what David is saying. People come people go. Evildoers come, evildoers go. Okay. Have that perspective. He says, instead of agitating and worrying, instead of fearing, trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. This trust, the idea is confidence. And it's a question of reliance. David's, uh, I think it's, uh, I can't remember if it's David or Solomon, but they say, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. These are instruments of warfare, okay? You can put your trust in an army, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, okay? What is your reliance in? What is your ultimate source of security? If it's anything other than the Lord, fears and worries and doubts are going to creep in because those things can be threatened. But God's position as sovereign can't be. So, Ask yourself the question, what at your core sets you at ease? And we need to cultivate this resting and trusting, as David's going to say later, waiting on God, looking to God, finding, finding God to be the foundation beneath which you can't sink any further. Okay, God is a bedrock. He says, do good. This word, do, is actually a builder's term. Make or construct. Build is the idea. And build anything that's good, uh, something that's pleasing or delightful or helpful. Worried and angry people don't build things that are a blessing to others because they're so self-focused. But when we're trusting in the Lord and resting in Him and looking to Him for good things, suddenly we've got the mental capacity to start to build things that Others can benefit from. We've got the capacity to build things that are delightful. Joyful people do joyful things. They construct joyful, blessing type of things. 
they're forward-looking that way. They're not trying to guard what's theirs. I, whenever I play board games with my family, I have a little phrase. Because you know, you know how board games go, right? Um, it's time to play the trump card, or it's time to purchase a thing on, on the Monopoly board. And when you do, everybody gets righteously indignant. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> and I say, look, when I play board games, Greg Baker, I take care of me and mine, okay? That's my ethic, so don't get upset when I take care of me and mine. So I'll just say as I'm playing my thing, I'm taking care of me and mine, okay? That's a board game. People who take care, people who that's their perspective, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of me and mine, well, they've got a very self-focused life that doesn't build much good, that doesn't build much joy or blessing for others to enjoy, but when you're foundation is the Lord, well then you have the mental space to, to do good and help others. He says, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Don't run from the problems. If you run from this evildoer, where do you think you're running to? You're just going to run smack into another evildoer. And I mean, you don't like that evildoer, what are you going to do? You're going to run over here, and you're going to run into a wrongdoer. Everywhere you go, there's going to be evildoers and wrongdoers. Dwell, grow where God has planted you. God has sent you somewhere. God has put you somewhere. Just work away, doing good for others, trusting the Lord. Build your foundation on the Lord. And don't be eager to escape. Because you're not going to escape from bad to good. You're going to escape from bad to bad. Okay? So grow where God has planted you, knowing that that is, in fact, where God has planted you. He says, befriend faithfulness. Our translations here say, befriend faithfulness. Again, this is sort of a, uh, a word, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. This is a word that kind of hard to bring over into English. It, it's a shepherding term. Shepherd, tend faithfulness. Feed faithfulness around you. Tend it, shepherd it, cultivate faithfulness into your life. Befriend faithful people. Be faithful to your obligations. Watch your friendships grow in the exercise of faithfulness. Stay where God has planted you. Befriend faithfulness, trusting that God is in control of your life and the evildoers that might agitate you are going to come and go and come and go and trust the Lord that that is temporary. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. This word delight is probably my favorite word of this entire psalm. The word delight um, is taken from, uh, what's, what's the word, uh, dressmaking? Um, Cooterie uh, 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 or something like that? Okay, think of it this way. Yeah, something like that. Y you can tell I shop dresses a lot. <laughs> okay, think of a bride on in anticipation of her wedding day and as she thinks of her wedding dress. Okay, is there any, or not just her dress, but what she's going to wear on her head, her earrings, her makeup, her jewelry, 
or shoes? Is there any detail that she does not give meticulous attention to? The ladies are shaking their head, no. No, she gives meticulous attention to every detail. Guys are like, it's white, you know? <laughs> Little lacy, shiny in spots. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, ladies, knock yourselves out. Delight. <laughs> Delight. It's uh, meticulous. It, this word is also used for uh, fine food. Um, I, don't, I don't do a lot of eating at fine dining establishments, but when I have, I've noticed that the portions are very small. And the idea is this food was labored over, and, and you don't take big gulping bites like I do when I go have Southern barbecue. At, a pro, at an appropriate southern barbecue place, you know? It, it's, it, it's to be savored. It's to be delighted in. You let the flavors ruminate in your mouth. That's the word right here. It's meticulous attention to detail, taking deep pleasure over the finery. And that is to be our regulating attitude in the Lord. I, I, joke, I joke with my children that in, in Christian circles, kids learn very quickly that every answer that they'll ever be asked has one of three answers. Every question that's asked in Sunday school has one of three answers. God, Jesus, or the Bible. Okay? If you answer God, Jesus, or the Bible, you're probably going to get it right. Okay? Well, we got to get past that and start boring into the details of God and appreciating the nuances of his character, ruminating over the stories that God tells us and letting the richness of that perspective season our souls so that we don't worry too much about what's out there. And God says that when that happens, when you start allowing the delights of God to take root in your heart, your heart changes. You start wanting the deeper things that life is really about that God wants. And when you start wanting those things, guess who's there to start shoveling them onto your plate? Delight yourself. Give acute attention to fine details. Ruminate over the Lord. In so doing, that is what you will want more of. And when you do, God is there to give you more and more and more. He will give you those desires. He will give you the desires of your heart. And suddenly, wicked, evil schemes and plots of men look as silly as they really are. And we're not tempted to be envious anymore because we know we have something so much better. Okay. 
is there, don't raise your hands, but ladies who have actual pearls. Okay, you have actual pearls. Okay. Do you ever get tempted to steal the plastic pearls off of the little four and five year old girls' necks that are at church here? Do you ever want to reach out and snatch those and keep them for yourself? Are you envious for those? No, because you got the real thing, don't you? You don't need to. That's the idea. Delight yourself in the Lord. And the envy, fear, anger dissipates in the satisfaction of all these other things. Psalm 37. We might be studying this more, but it is a wonderful psalm worthy of your deep meditation. Let's pray. Father, help us to meditate on your ways and give attention to you in the finest details such that all these other things fade from our minds as they will from history. Help us to to delight in you, to trust you. Give us the mental space and wherewithal to do good, to build good things. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.